This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there we give away, so do enjoy those on us. Once again, that's freetalklive.com. Com, uh, 800-259-9231. As always, lots to talk about uh, here tonight, but I figured we we might start with a little something by John Stossel. We haven't heard from John Stossel in a while. And, uh, of course, we're not going to hear from John, but we are going to share an article that he wrote uh, from RealClearPolitics.com called, With Government Money Comes Strings. As you well know, if you've been paying attention to how government works, it's never just you get the cash and it doesn't work that way for government or for uh, for private schools either there's always strings attached in fact uh, Stossel points out says I apologize recently I wrote enthusiastically about Utah's chance to have school vouchers by now we know whether voters said yes or no either way while a voucher experiments a good thing and far superior to a government-run monopoly I wonder if I wasn't too enthusiastic. As Sheldon Richmond, editor of the Freeman magazine and author of Separating School and State, puts it, public money going to private schools cannot bode well for the future of those schools. Note that the Utah law requires private schools to give a nationally recognized exam, one approved by the National Education Establishment. But he who controls the exam controls the curriculum. Schools will have to teach to the test, and that will limit innovation and make the private schools look more like the public schools. Yeah. Maybe the government can't really create choice affirmatively. We know the government money comes with strings. Federal highway funds came with requirements for seatbelt laws and 55 mile per hour speed limits. And look what happened there. There's only one state in all of America, all of the 50 states, that doesn't have a seatbelt law for adults. Right. And that's New Hampshire. They're that, the only ones. And we've gotten rid of the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. Uh, I don't know that it was successful in doing whatever it was supposed to do. Clearly uh, not. I, I think that it was supposed to uh, you know, make save it... Save so lives. You, well, not just sta- save lives. Uh, that's what, that was the campaign, Arrive Alive, I believe. But um, it was also supposed to you know, use less fuel. I'm not sure how that works, and I think <laughs> that uh, our newer, more efficient vehicles probably burn less fuel at higher speeds than they did in 1970-whatever. Well, uh, so, and and again, we saw what happened there. The states got on board with those federal highway funds, and now they can't get off. Now they can't let it go. In fact, even just having them sitting out there as an option, as something for the states to take, is endlessly tempting to state bureaucrats. I mean, we. They want the money, and they really don't care what control goes over your life in the process. Right. Every year, there's a new bill here in New Hampshire. Every year. There's a new proposal to get on board with this federal highway fund money and to start uh, mandating seatbelt use in in the state. And they're always pushing it. One of the big reasons beyond let's keep people safe. And, of course, it's questionable because in many cases wearing a seatbelt can actually put you in more danger. But that's another issue. But they always put it forward as, well, one of the number one reasons we should do this is we're leaving, we're leaving out all this federal highway money. We, we could have more money. And luckily, there are enough representatives here in New Hampshire with enough sense in their heads to reject this idea when it comes up. 
But that doesn't stop many of them, hundreds of them, from voting in favor of if, it. If more people don't move for the Free State Project, it is a matter of time. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, an, it's a win, not an if. So this is all over the place. In the 1970s, uh, Grove City College in Pennsylvania was ordered to certify that it complied with Title IX, which outlaws sex discrimination. The private liberal arts school was not accused of discrimination, but nevertheless objected to the order on the grounds that it took no federal money. The feds insisted, saying that since some students uh, received federal scholarships, Mm -hmm. that amounted to an indirect subsidy from the government. Grove City took the case to the U.S. Supreme Court and And lost. lost. It would be astounding if the government didn't put conditions on its grants. In fact, not to do so would appear irresponsible. And that's a good reason to avoid taking government money in the first place. Even without direct conditions, government money taints its recipients. Education scholar Charles Glenn wrote in 1989, For those who believe strongly in religious schooling and fear that government influence will come with public funding, reason exists for their concern. Catholic or Protestant schools in, uh, in Europe, for instance, have increasingly been assimilated to the assumptions and guiding values of government schools. This process doesn't even seem to be the result of deliberate efforts, but rather of the difficulty for a private school playing by public rules to maintain its distance from the common assumptions and habits of the predominant system. Once vouchers become widespread, we can expect the education establishment, especially the teachers' unions, to find ways to turn the program to its advantage. It won't have to look far for ideas. Several years ago, the New Democrat, published by the Democratic Leadership Council and the Progressive Policy Institute, the moderate Democrats with whom Bill Clinton has long been associated and an organization started by my brother-in-law, according to Stossel, recommended that any voucher program force private schools to admit all children and meet or exceed specified performance standards to continue receiving taxpayer funds. Now, um, one of I went to a private school, as you know, for... Nine mm-hmm. years uh, from kindergarten through eighth grade, and one thing they did was they, I believe, they effectively expelled, if not, um, you know, I think they suspended some uh, boys for a semester for being bad, uh, for having uh, baking soda and calling it cocaine. Mm. But um, they considered that uh, serious enough that they wanted them to go away. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, those boys never came back to that school. But. That would, you know, according to that rule there, it wouldn't allow them to do quite that, to expel a child or not allow them to come or something like that. Yeah, presumably. And I mean, it probably wouldn't allow them certainly to uh, not allow a student who had gotten in trouble for drugs at some other school to transfer to theirs. Exactly. So it's just bit by bit, piece by piece, it's the government co-opting the private school's policies and eliminating them in return for the government check. In return for the handout. The editorial entitled Counterpunching on Vouchers stated such an amendment would effectively turn voucher-supported private schools into public charter schools. A public school is not defined by who owns it, but rather by two features, universal access and accountability to the public for results. In other words, voucher money is a foot in the door for the educrats. If vouchers contain this potential danger, what can be done to help kids out of dismal government schools? A better alternative is a tax credit for any parent who pays for private schooling or anyone else who helps put a child through non-government schools. Of course, to us libertarians, the best idea is to separate school and state altogether. How would parents afford tuition? 
Well, they'd have more money if they weren't taxed so heavily to pay for incompetently run government schools. Remember that, uh, you know, you pay for government schools every time you write a check for property taxes. Um, and it also comes out of your income tax at the same time. But you pay for you pay for these things, and so you'd have that money back. Plus the fact that it generally costs something like 1.5 to double um, to educate somebody in the public school system as it does in the private school system, because well, government is inefficient. In fact, and we the might education's even, better at a private school too. Right. Well, we might even see a uh, a further reduction in cost if we actually had the full marketplace competing for for all of its potential customers. Unlike now, where most of them have been siphoned off by the government schools. So we don't even really have a fully uh, free market situation at all in education, and and we haven't realized all of the cost reductions we could as a result of that. But nonetheless, Stossel finishes up. He says, uh, already many private schools do a better job than government schools for half the cost. Throughout Africa, parents far poorer than Americans pay to send their children to for-profit schools. For Americans who truly lack tuition money, private charity would help, as I do, through the wonderful nonprofit Student Sponsor Partners. Education's too important to be left to government. The freer parents and entrepreneurs are, the more innovative American schooling will be, and the more kids will learn. And isn't that what's important? Isn't it, it important that your kid get a good education? Not as a free opposed one. to a free education? You can take control of the airwaves. Would love your thoughts here, especially if you're someone involved in the education, either in the establishment or perhaps on the outside of the establishment in in the private schools that are out there. Well, of course, homeschoolers always welcome to chime in as well. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. Bring up anything. It is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's why we call the show Free Talk Live, because you can bring up anything. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features we give away, including the bulletin board system with over 300,000 posts. Serious issues to fun stuff. You'll find it all for free at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs. .freetalklive.com. Now you can save time and money on common legal matters. Created by top attorneys, LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable legal documents like your will or living trust in minutes. LegalZoom.com. Use the code FTL to save 10%. That is LegalZoom.com. 800-259-9231. Just finished up a, a nice little story from John Stossel. Doing a little bit of backpedaling, actually, on uh, his enthusiasm for government vouchers. Apparently, after he uh, talked up government vouchers in one of his stories or articles, he was contacted by Sheldon Richmond from the Separation for... Uh, for I believe it's an organization called... The Separation, Separation of School and State. A uh, great group. We've interviewed them on the air before, and they, they do good work. Uh, and so he was contacted by Mr. Richmond, and Richmond pointed out a few important things about government vouchers, and that is that it's government money. And when you take government money, you agree to play by government's rules. You sign some sort of agreement, whether it's you taking welfare payments or whether it's a private school taking money in the form of vouchers. Right, and it's whether the uh, the school, you know, whether the rules exist right now or not, they oh, will. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. When you come on board, there are going to be rules that exist 
And then a year later or five years later, there are going to even be more rules for you to uh, to uh, adhere yourself to. Sure, the government doesn't run out of rules. But now, of course, five years from that time, you've got, if you're a school, you've got more young people that are getting educated at your school that that are uh, being, being paid for by these vouchers. So let's say that you start accepting vouchers and then before you know it, oh, I don't know, 30% of your students are voucher students. Then the government changes the rules to be oh so onerous that you don't really want to do this anymore. Maybe they're really modifying your curriculum more than they ever used to. Well, once you're in, you know, when you're when you're taking baby steps towards tyranny, mm-hmm. it's easy. You know, the money keeps coming. Well, I have this option of getting rid of these students. Uh, you know, not taking this money, this six figures that we're talking about here. I really can't do without that. And right. well, what's important is that we're educating kids. Mostly, and if we have to make some small changes, then that's what we'll do. And of course, these decisions aren't made by one person; they're made by a committee. And that committee's, you know, going to end up worrying about the money more than they're worried about principle. Probably one man will stand for principle. A committee goes for the money. Sure. And as a result, the education of all the kids at your school suffers, and the government takes control issue after issue. And it's a no- it's a never-ending process. Yeah. I uh, I called in the, uh, the the morning show here in the area about uh, about education today, and once again, <laughs> once again, I was I, you know, I wake up I, I right I, I wake up in the morning and my alarm clock goes off to the uh, the local talk radio station and I am hearing them bickering over what new taxes New Hampshire should have, <laughs> and I I just it's just so sad, Mark, hearing granite staters. People that live free or die, supposedly. Supposedly. And I think that that's, that's something, you know, that, that you can't count on it by any stretch of the imagination. These no. people are just ordinary Americans, largely. Right. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, New Hampshire has a, a better track record for liberty than most states, but you can't count on these people being uh, principled. They're not. Nope. And they're all asking the wrong questions, or at least the ones that are calling in and making their voices heard. They're all asking the wrong questions. The questions this morning that I was hearing before I called in were, um, well, should we have an income tax or should we have a sales tax or should we have a, a bottle tax? And just on and on the different kinds of taxes we need to have so the government can take care of our kids. And no one's asking the right question. They never do. And the right question is, what in the hell is government doing educating your kids? Are they any good at it? I think is uh, you know the first thing that the, we could l- start looking at. Sure, that's another one to ask, and clearly they aren't. And 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 it's, I'm sorry, but there's nothing magical about government. No, the money that government has well, to educate kids, everything with, it touches turns to crap. Okay, that's besides, kind of magic. besides that, the 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 uh, the money that they have, and boy, do they have a lot of it. Where we live in New Hampshire and Keene, sixty percent of the county budget, of the city budget, excuse me, city I believe, yeah, goes to schools. It's something like forty-five million dollars a year goes to schools, and like thirty or thirty-five goes to the other services government mm-hmm. provides. And you should you should have hear, we had a, a vote not too long ago. You should hear them howl when you say no, you can't have another ten million dollars. It's not enough. The children, the children. So you know they've got so much money, and this money, 
yeah, I understand. The Federal Reserve can print as much of it as they want to. I understand that. But the city government can't. Thank God they'd do it too. Well, sure they would. <laughs> so the city city government can't get away with printing the money. So therefore, the only money they can get their hands on was taken from you and you and me. Yeah. They took it from us first. And so the fact is, if that money was left in our pockets in the first place, then we'd be able to decide what to do with it. We'd be able to make those decisions instead of some centralized bureaucrat, some centralized bureaucracy, and uh, you know we don't even know who those people are. Those people making the decisions for us. There's, there's nothing more efficient about that. In fact, it's dramatically less efficient. No, they don't care when they're making a decision like you do about your money. Right. And the, the host of the show... And under- if, you think, if you think it's an efficient process, letting, the school, letting uh, bureaucrats make decisions for you as far as your school and educating your kid, why not uh, you know, let me take care of uh, something that's far less important in your life um, you know, financially, and let me buy your next car? Why, yeah, why not let those bureaucrats decide everything for you? Well, what you eat, I mean, you know, can you imagine how, how little you would want me to purchase your next car for you? Mm. And how much I would likely spend on it. You know, I don't care what it costs. I'm not going to go in there with a salesman and beat him down on the price or anything like that. Why should I? I don't have any reason to, especially since I'm buying cars all day long for people. Ah, screw it. (laughs) What's that? All the options? Sure. Sure. Whatever. The options they don't need? Yeah, they do. Somebody needs them. Don't worry. So the money doesn't come out of thin air for local governments it comes from your pocket and bureaucrats are not better decision makers than you are nor should you be forced to to uh to fund all this and i made the points i made these points to the host of the show who you know program director of the station he put us on his on his station so that's good and he got it he he understands that that bureaucrats aren't necessarily better decision makers but on the other hand he doesn't understand how decentralization could work he doesn't understand how individuals making decisions in the marketplace could end up with better education, more options, more choices, better prices. People, they, they just don't get that. It seems too scary for them. It seems like, oh, children, we need to help them. And right now they're getting education. If we took them out of government schools, and, and they, they wouldn't get they, it. So they wouldn't, it wouldn't work, but it would. This is the same marketplace that can bring us amazing quality products at lower and lower prices every single year. It manages to get a thousand items on one aisle of the supermarket shelf, all organized and pretty and all at the lowest possible price. Right. Walk into your local supermarket and look at the wonder of the marketplace. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800-259-9231. And that's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features we give away, uh, and they include the Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send us their validated photos. See what I mean by going to shrine.freetalklive.com. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. Sound money is under attack. The Liberty Dollars offices were raided by the FBI and Secret Service on November the 14th, 2007. 
All of its precious metals, computers, and records were seized. Your help is urgently needed. Go to LibertyDollar.org, sign up for their updates, and register for the lawsuit. Don't let the government steal your money and destroy the Liberty Dollar. Check out the new uh, 2008 Liberty Dollars that they're putting out now. Uh, so they're back in business. Mm-hmm. 800-259-9231. So if you've got more comments on the government education situation, uh, by, by all means. You know, it's not going to be something that uh, that comes to a close anytime soon, unfortunately. So our our young people in America will continue to suffer at the hands of these bureaucrats and their mismanagement. Because as uh, as we were talking about before we went uh, went away there for a moment, the marketplace can bring products and services to consumers' hands at lower and lower prices every single year. Julia and I, my girlfriend and I, were talking about this uh, the other night and talking about how wonderful it, it really could be if we just would get the government out of all of these different industries that they so heavily regulate. I mean, it really could be the case that education... And healthcare could be like the computer industry. It could be that way. Well, you know, that's what we were told that was going to happen. We were told that medicine was going to just continue to, uh, you know, surge forward by leaps and bounds. What they failed to mention was the FDA and uh, the AMA and all these organizations that have their hands in the mix. Mm-hmm. Well, they prevent a lot of that those surges. They sure do. In the name of keeping you safe, God knows we wouldn't want some um, a, a therapy that might you know be detrimental to you to to someone or uh, a, a therapy that that might be ineffective. Just imagine for a moment, if you will, just a quick thought experiment here. You know how the computer industry works. Everybody knows this, and and this is what Julia was pointing out. The average person, you don't have to be a computer guru or a techno, uh, you know, a technophile to understand that technology is an industry where products improve year after year, features get added, new generations of products come out better and better. Products keep getting better. Prices keep coming down. Everyone knows this. Everyone knows this. This is no secret. It's very clear in the marketplace that these things happen. You know that if you go out and buy a laptop today... That same laptop six months from now will be cheaper. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, people do know that. Right. You know that if you go out and you buy a new Blu ray DVD player, although I guess that's, I don't know if it's really considered DVD anymore, but if you go buy a new Blu ray player, the new high definition uh, video player, you know that it's $399 now, but a year from now, after Christmas sales and all the other price reductions come in and more people start buying them, you know they're going to be $299. And you know before you know it, the Chinese knockoffs are going to be on the market for 30 bucks. You can go to Walmart today and pick up a DVD drive for less than 50 bucks, Less than 30 in some cases. VHS. Remember how big those things used to be back in the 1980s with the top load? You know, you'd have to load the thing in there, and you hope that the the, uh, the the tape didn't get caught on the spools when yeah. you opened it up again. And just monstrous. It was weighed a ton. Cause it the, did. Uh, I remember that stuff. Now you can go and you can get a VHS deck and a, t- and a TV and a DVD player all in one for less than three, 200 bucks. Dude, I saw, uh, I can't remember where it was advertised, I saw a DVD player for 
thirty dollars, twenty nine ninety nine. You can get a DVD player. I remember what a big deal this was. I bought mine in nineteen ninety nine, I think, and yeah. I was behind the times a little bit. A uh, couple hundred bucks. Yeah, it was a couple hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Now thirty dollars. It's bare bones. You're not getting all the features. No, you no, could. by no means. But I d- I bought one that had no features too. Right. But you're getting a picture on the screen, and you're doing it for less than you did five years ago. And you don't see that in every industry. You don't see that in the automobile industry, where they're regulated to to beat the band. Right. You don't see that in the in- in- energy industry, which I don't think it works exactly the same. You're talking about natural resources there. But there's a lot of industries you don't see that. And, well, it's and not. there's not a lot of competition in the energy industry. Because the government regulates the crap right. out you, of it. You can't, I, government can't says, a, I can't put an oil derrick on my property. Right, right. Government says you can't build new oil refineries. You have to continue repairing the old ones. So they can't expand out. They can't scale out according to what the marketplace is demanding. Say so they say you can't build new oil refineries. Can't these do just, anything with nuclear power. These are just the ones we know about. These are just the regs we know about. We're just talk show hosts, not en- energy experts. Uh, yeah, you can't build new nuclear power plants. That's a no-no. Whoa, can't have that, even though it's now safer than ever. Because the research is, energy out there. Right. Research has still been going on, and building a nuclear power plant today is not like building Chernobyl. And don't forget, the commies built Chernobyl. Right. That was a government uh, energy product project. So, uh, you know, those are just two examples of how constricted the energy marketplace is. So you can go down the list and you can see, you know, unrestricted marketplace, very free, lots of innovation, lots of development. People just prices. don't see this. They see it when it comes to technology because they it's it's apparent. They're immersed in it. Yeah, but, but they, they don't, don't that... see it with elec- with electricity and they don't see it with healthcare and they don't see it with education and in fact, it allows what we talked about last night to happen. Where the government people and the journalists, who are educated by government people, where these pro-government people say, well, looks like this free market thing just isn't working out. Look at the cost of health insurance. It's clear this free market, this unrestricted, unregulated marketplace that we favor so much in America, just not working out. We're going to need government to step in and solve these problems. That's exactly what they're, they're, they're sidling for. It. You can believe that the government would love to get involved in health care. Because it's more money for them to dispose of. It's more control of your life. 800-259-9231. You know, speaking of health care, uh, we'll get into that here in a moment. There's a story out of Massachusetts about their little Massachusetts mandatory insurance system. Love that crap. Uh, but so, yes, it is very clear. It's very apparent to people. But we just have to help them make that connection. I we just have to help them help them see that. I think they see the uh, the you know how quickly the computer industry is going, and, and it makes their head swim. But they don't understand why. That's what we need to help them understand. We need to help them understand that it's government and their rules and regulations that they claim that are there to protect you that are slowing the industry down and only protecting the profits of the existing businessmen who are in those industries. 1-800-259-9231. If you keep letting it go in the direction it's going in, it will only get worse. It's not going to get better. The more government intervention you have, the slower and more awful these industries will become. And healthcare is the worst of the worst. Education's pretty darn bad, but healthcare, I've, there are probably more dollars spent on healthcare than, than education in America. And it's government is in control of over 50% of them. And this is well, life do you and really death. Want, do you want, really want the government deciding who lives and who dies? That's what happens in Canada. That's what happens in North Korea. Think there's a big difference between the two? Mm, not fundamentally. At least in Canada, you can get out of the country. In Canada, you can drive south of the border, 
to America and yeah. go get your treatment. North Korea, they have fences up. <laughs> they sure do. Well, before you know it, uh, Massachusetts might be putting fences up to keep its, uh, its prisoners in. The cost, according to businessweek.com, of not having health insurance in Massachusetts is going up. When the new year begins, which it already has, most residents who remain uninsured will face monthly fines. That could total as much as $912 for individuals and $1,824 for couples by the end of 2008, according to penalty guidelines unveiled. I guess this is for this uh, this year, so it's the end of this year. According to penalty guidelines unveiled by the Department of Revenue, individuals who failed to sign up for health insurance by the end of 2007 face only a one-time loss of their $219 personal income tax exemption. The fines are part of an increasingly aggressive approach written into the health care law designed to pressure Massachusetts residents into getting insurance. We'll come back with more on this. 800-259-9231. Do you live in Massachusetts? Have you been subjected to this new mandatory insurance program? What's it been like? I'd love to hear your story. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800 800- 259-9231. That would be the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features there we give away. And uh, if you like the show and you like the fact that we give you away uh, the features on the website, then you should voluntarily support us by going shopping at the Free Talk Live store. Head over to store.freetalklive.com. And you can order all kinds of great Free Talk Live branded merchandise. Very high quality products. We did not, uh, we did not cut corners on ordering these products. Good stuff. In fact, if you were at the Liberty Forum this year, you were able to even try some of them on and feel them. And right. The hoodies, them. the hoodies are thick. They have big brass zippers. The uh, t-shirts aren't those flimsy kind. Right. It's good stuff. Uh, so we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got hats, and more. All of it there at store.freetalklive.com. And a special offer going on right now. If you order over $75 worth of product, including our shipping costs, we will send you, in a, included in your order, a free copy of Barry Cooper's excellent DVD, Never Get Busted Again. All the details are there at store.freetalklive.com. Alright, so we're talking about the healthcare industry right now. We started out by talking about education and how government involvement inevitably corrupts the private schools, just as government involvement in, in healthcare has corrupted the medical industry. It has made it inefficient. It has made it uh, just it's it's just not as innovative as it used to be. And it's because it's being held down by all manner of different government rules, from the FDA to various other local and state regulatory agencies. And, of course, then there's all the the uh, the government welfare that's attached to the healthcare industry. I mean, there's so much there's so much to cover as far as government's involvement in this one industry. We could spend three hours on the healthcare industry alone if we wanted to. You can on the healthcare industry front. You can look at uh, you know sections of the healthcare industry that are largely free market, uh, facelifts and you know, cosmetic stuff versus what's going on. Laser eye surgery. Yeah, laser eye surgery. You can look at that versus what's going on in the regular medical field, and you'll see innovation after innovation in those areas mm. compared to what's going on in the regular medical field. Those people are too bogged down with paperwork that the government gives them. That's a great point. More you than, can't, you more can't than, get paperwork, or you can't get welfare for uh, laser eye surgery. Right, uh, or um, insurance for that matter. Yeah. And you know where it's free market dollars, where they have to compete for actual free market dollars, where there's no insurance 
and no government involved, that's where the innovation is. Right. They're taking out advertisements, advertising price, uh, advertising experience, yep. trying to get consumers through their door instead of the guy down the street. It could be that way with everything else if we just let the marketplace operate. But no, no, no. We can't have that, says government. In fact, in Massachusetts, if you aren't aware, there's basically a almost complete socialized health care at this point. They almost have it. Well, they have a mandate that you have insurance. Right. It's kind of a sneakily written socialized health care plan. It's basically what it is. I'd like to put out a mandate that uh, businesses advertise on the radio. <laughs> businesses have to advertise, you know, or they're not going to get uh, new business. And it they're, is a good they're idea. They're going to become, uh, you know, inif- they're, they're, they're going to lose sales and die. Well, it's the same sort of thing with uh, health care. I would love to mandate that they had to have radio advertising. Right. So in in uh, Massachusetts See, now... Uh, mm-hmm. Before you go on, yes. there's other solutions besides health insurance. I had... Uh, a couple of years ago, I wasn't doing so well financially, and I decided that I couldn't afford I, – I couldn't come up with the money for um, health insurance. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't find a policy that covered me um, to the extent that I wanted to be covered for what the I price. wanted to pay. Yeah. So I decided to go with disability insurance instead, and what that would do was pay me uh, – I think it was four or $5,000 a month in case I became unable to work, mm-hmm. at which point I could decide what I wanted to do with that money, mm. you know, pay some bills, pay, um, pay off you – know, pay my mortgage, those kind of things. Um, I could decide what I want to do with that money rather than the health insurance just paying the, the, you know, the health care bills. Right. So but you get I, a better deal if you shop around. I managed to get that for I think it was thirty three dollars a month. Wow. I mean, I'm not saying that it covered everything, and if I'd have been in it, you know, some kind of catastrophic situation in my very early thirties, then uh, it, it might have been a bad thing. But if at the very least, I could have handled it. The hospitals would have waited for their pay if they, um, you know, they, they would have had to pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I, I managed to handle it on my own. But that sort of innovation wouldn't be allowed in Massachusetts. Well, now what Massachusetts is doing, and we can talk more about their program, but what they're doing to encourage more participation in their mandatory program. They're not encouraging. Is <laughs> they're threatening people with fines of $912 per month. Good Lord. If you don't jump on board with their little government health care insurance program. The fines are part of an increasingly aggressive approach written into the health care law in Massachusetts designed to pressure Massachusetts residents into getting insurance. The law intended to create near-universal coverage in the state was approved by lawmakers and signed by, you know, that small government guy, Mitt Mitt Romney. Romney. It remains unclear how many Massachusetts residents still don't have insurance, but the number could be in the hundreds of thousands. The penalties, which vary with age and income, are based on half the lowest cost plans available through the health care Only the government could come up with those kind of penalties. The penalties vary with age and income. They accrue each month and individual remains they recruit each accrue each month and individual remains uninsured and will be due as part of tax returns filed early in 2009. And, and don't forget, even if you do have health insurance, you have to go through whatever arduous hoops they put in your um, put in your way to prove that you now have health insurance to them. These people deserve to know that information. Mm. They do not. The penalties only apply to adults deemed to be able to afford health insurance by the Health Insurance Connector Authority, which oversees the health care law. Glad they know. People can apply for hardship appeals. The highest fine of $76 a month, oh, excuse me, it's $912 a year, my bad, uh, will be levied against those over the age of 27, making more than three times the federal pover- poverty level of $30,000. And you can, then it goes on with some more numbers. The fines dropped for younger adults. Revenue Commissioner Henry Dormitzer said the department worked to come up with the penalties that were fair. 
and easy to understand. How did they? I always wonder how do they come up with these numbers? You said it was seventy six dollars, right? That's correct. Why seventy six dollars? I mean, wh- where do they, they? These are totally arbitrary numbers. Right. I mean, did they say, well, it should be more than seventy five, but not more than a hundred? Well, I think we should go to the low side. Let's go with 76. What did they do? Where did they come up with 76? I, I don't mean, know, man. I don't know. It's John. It, it's, it's not a prime number. John McDonald, you know that. executive director of the advocacy group Healthcare for All, said the penalties were a good compromise. The way the law was written, 59-year-olds <laughs> could have faced penalties five or six times higher than younger adults in their 20s because their insurance plans typically cost more. He says some will say these are too high. Some I, say, say, that too, I they, say that they're none of your damn business. Some will say these are too low. There's plenty of room for argument on both sides. Of course there is, John, because you made it up. <laughs> We're in such uncharted territory. No one knows for sure how many taxpayers will face the fines. Those overseeing the law say the state's added about 300,000 Massachusetts residents to the ranks of the insured this year, largely as a result of the law. The governor's top budget chief said estimates of the number of uninsured Massachusetts before the law took effect ranged from 370,000 to more than half a million. So they're hailing this as a success, Mark. They're saying, thanks to this program now, over 300,000 Massachusetts residents have health care insurance coverage that they never had before. This has been an unqualified success. Yep, and, you know, no mention of the liberty that you have to not have health insurance. You don't have that liberty. Well, yes, in you do. Massachusetts. Well, you do have the liberty. They've just decided to take it away. I mean, I, I right. don't even know how to describe it. It's your right not to have to have health insurance. Well, they're going to jack it out of your paycheck is what they're going to do. At the end of the year, if you haven't acquired their health insurance, their approved health insurance, come tax time, and remember, Massachusetts has a state income tax, so come tax time, they're just going to not give you your refund and if you owe them, then you're going to be in, in arrears to the government for taxes. And we all know how that goes for people. That doesn't go too well. Now, what is the, the actual business side of this uh, all about? Because this is an important factor. Massachusetts is a very highly regulated state when it comes to uh, insurance, both automotive, automotive and health insurance. In fact, Massachusetts keeps increasing their insurance regulations to the point where many health insurance providers have thrown up their hands and said, screw it, we're out of here. And they're only doing business in the other 49 states. It's that bad in Massachusetts. So you only have a handful of select health insurance providers in the state in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you already have a very limited amount of uh, providers you can choose from, which means that there's limited competition, which means there's not a lot of uh, choice, there's not a lot of innovation, there's not a lot of offers out there. Uh, They can pretty much keep their rates a little bit inflated because there's no one else to go to. Right. Now so, you have to buy their product. Now, what now? What you're looking at is essentially a quasi-government agency. They yeah. run the competition out. Um, right. There's just a few insurers there. Their rates are going to be high because there's no competition. So you have small competition, uh, you know, and people forced to buy it. That, right. That's that's pretty darn. Cl- it's, that's it's why like, I tell you like this is almost utilities. socialism. This is almost complete 100% socialism. It's like the fascist, more fascist version of socialist. You're going to find less customer <laughs> service, just like you do with the government, and just like you do with utilities, because well, they don't have to give it. Where right. are you going to go? There's only two or three places, and those businesses are willing to bop the bop the people around. Right. In those, what um, happens if you have a complaint about the uh, the insurance company you're uh, you're buying with? You don't want to go to the other ones? Well, too bad. You have to buy their their product, or else the government's going to tax you. The government's going to fine you, and if you don't pay their fines, well, we all know what happens. Hour two's coming up. It's Free Talk Live. 
With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features uh, on the site are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. If you missed the last hour of the program, you missed us talking about healthcare and education, two of the most heavily regulated industries in America today. And uh, the point we were making, very simple, is that the more regulation an industry has, the more rules the government sets up for its participants to follow, the more inefficient, the more bureaucratic, the slower, the, uh, the, the, the less innovation, just the worse those industries become. And then, of course, government uses the industry's failure in different areas to point out why more government is necessary to solve the problems. And so when more government gets involved, things just get worse, and it's just this downward spiral that never ends. Uh, so one of the other points we, we pointed out was that, well, there are some industries where there's very little regulation, and you can see amazing progress. And so we need to help people connect the dots between why things work well without government regulation and why things don't work so well with government regulation even though government's always out there pr- promising that its regulations are keeping us safe. We need to help people under- understand this and grasp it so that we can get back to the... or we can get finally... I guess, not get back because we never really had it, but get to the point of having a free market in this country. And here's an interesting little story I found in, the, in my email box to, that really outlines yet another example of what happens when you get the government out of something. You've got an industry that wants to grow, it wants to innovate, it wants to create products and services and and offer them in the marketplace, in the free marketplace, to consumers to purchase. But it can't because of government regulation. What industry am I talking about? Space travel. Hmm. For many years, uh, they were prohibited from launching their own rockets. Privateers, private companies were prohibited from it. It's too dangerous. Right. Oh, we can only have government handling this. Oh, we know, private companies, you want to launch your satellites. Don't worry. We'll take care of it for you. Well, turned out, and I don't have the timeline in, timeline in front of me, so I'm just going for my general knowledge on how this, how this happened. Basically, what happened was the government, shocker, was too slow and inefficient to actually launch these satellites in time for them to make it into orbit to provide the services they were supposed to be orbiting uh, the Earth providing us with, whether it be phone service or radio rebroadcast or television, whatever. There are different reasons for satellites being up there. So government was so inefficient that the private companies managed to somehow get them to agree to let them launch their own satellites. And now private companies launch the government satellites for them. So that was the first step. That was the first step in deregulation of space travel. The later steps came somewhere between then and now, uh, because now we have private companies going into space. We had the X Prize a few years ago, where there was uh, what was it, ten or twenty million dollars that was offered as a prize to whom, whomever could put something into orbit, suborbital. I thought it was a million dollars, but okay. 
it was significant. Uh, the people that that um, that won, they didn't make their money back. They no. put more money in than they they made back from the X Prize. But yeah, they got to be able to say we won the X Prize. We were the you know we were right. the first ones to go suborbital or something like that. Right. And now and now there's another X Prize out there. Uh, and it, you know the the uh, the progress continues. The reach for the stars in the marketplace is continuing at such a fast clip, such a uh, an incredibly f- uh, fast clip that it's almost mind-boggling to watch it happen. Now, how long's the International Space Station been up there clunking around in in orbit? What is that thing doing? Uh, they're trying to keep it, I think, held together right now. I, I think, think they... they're going up there with a welding iron and uh, trying to keep the thing from falling to pieces and crashing into the ocean somewhere. Space welding. Good idea. The, I think that they've had two um, space uh, stations. Uh, you know, the, there was like the Mir, and then now this is the International or something like. I that. don't know. The, certainly, uh, you know, the, somebody out there knows uh, better than I. I thought they were the same one. I thought they've just been adding on to it. They they brought up another piece, right? Didn't didn't Russia make the first piece in America? Anyway, the different com- countries have been bringing up different pieces over time, and it's just been an incredibly expensive endeavor. It has realized nothing. As far as scientific advancements, studies, anything like that. They spend all their time modifying the station and trying to keep it afloat. We they should... spend all their time repairing the damn thing. We Last should... thing, the guys were trapped up there dying. <laughs> I mean, it's we good should... for drama, but that's about it. We should go back and, uh, like we did before, read the uh, read the the goals of NASA. Um, do you remember when we... Oh, it's been years since it's, we uh, did. the Harry Brown book. Uh, it's from the Harry Brown book. Why, uh, not go, No, it's not Why Government Doesn't Work. It's the Great Libertarian Offer. He's got the original goals from the NASA space program. And it's just they fail. They fail, fail, they, fail, They, they still fail, haven't fail. reached the goals. Right. Nope. And they're not even close. They're not even, they're not they're not even not the goals anymore. Right. So, uh, so it's just the International Space Station I bring up. It's just one example of government failure. That just continues to, they just continue to pour your taxpayer dollars into it as though it's worth something. Why not? It's not your, it's not their money. They don't right. care. So here is a very interesting counterpoint to that. Right, and now um, with uh, you know Spaceship Two and with uh, the X Prize, you can we can say conclusively, look, space travel will happen. Uh, spaceship Spaceship Two, which is being designed by Virgin, um, I don't know. Uh, that's that's what I've been re- um, hearing. Uh, they they are uh, they're looking to put people into suborbital space. Tourists. That's mm-hmm. all they're going to do. They're going to fly up there. You can bounce around, wait list for oh I don't know ten fifteen minutes, and then they're going to bring you back down. I don't know what it'll cost, but it won't bucks. be cheap. Yeah, no, nah, it won't be a million bucks. Well, it's going to be a lot. I can tell you that. Uh, this from Reuters: Galactic Suite, the first hotel planned in space, expects to open for business. Give me a date, Mark. What year? Hotel first, in space. The first space hotel. Now think about the think about the International Space Station and its clunkiness and inefficiency and slowness and how many years it's been up there just uh, just draining cash out of the uh, the economy and how just awful it's been and how they can only fit two people into it. There's mm-hmm. only like two people that can fit in there and it's not very comfortable. Think about all that, and now think about what the marketplace can do and how soon they can do it. Well, I can't think about what the uh, what the government's done as far as the International uh, Space Station, because at this rate, we'll just never have it. But with the marketplace, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm going to try to be try to take both of them into account and say 10 years. 2012. Wow. 
The first hotel planned in space will expect to open for business in 2012 and will allow guests to travel around the world in 80 minutes. Its Barcelona-based architects say the space hotel will be the most expensive in the galaxy, costing $4 million for a three-day stay. During that time, wow. guests... And that seems like a deal to me. I mean, as far as millionaires are concerned, that's that's a great vacation. It's it's a lot of money, but, I mean, people will definitely pay it when you when you look at what they pay for some resorts out there. Right. Well, it's like we were talking about before, is that whenever a product enters the marketplace, it's, it's always expensive. the purview of, of the rich until enough rich people buy it, and then, you know, it, it, demand continues to increase, and they continue to supply that demand, and com- competition comes in, more space hotels open, prices start to drop. Before you know it, it's $100,000 for uh, three days stay mm-hmm. before you know it it's a you know three thousand uh, dollars anyway and uh, three thousand dollars uh, you can afford at that point uh, during that time guests would see the sunrise 15 times a day and use velcro wow. suits to crawl around their pod rooms by sticking themselves to the walls like spider-man company director xavier what do you bet one of the rich people is going to complain about the waitlessness i don't know that's their problem customer service not worth discussing here Company director Xavier Claremont says the three-bedroom boutique hotel's joined-up pod structure, which makes it look like a model of molecules, was dictated by the fact that each pod room had to fit inside a rocket to be taken into space. Claremont says it's the bathrooms in zero gravity that are the biggest challenge. Mm. How to accommodate more intimate activities of the guests is not easy. But they say they've solved the issue of how to take a shower in weightlessness. The guests will enter a spa room in which bubbles of water will float around. When guests are how cool. Uh, when guests aren't admiring the view from their portholes, they'll take part in scientific experiments on space travel. Galactic Suite began as a hobby for former aerospace engineer Claremont until a space enthusiast decided to make the science fiction fantasy a reality by fronting most of the three billion dollars needed to build the hotel. Hokey smokes. What were we saying last night about oh the marketplace can't provide us with with energy? Who would be able to fund those projects? Well somebody just came up with three billion dollars to on this speculation. Right. On the speculation of building a space hotel. You know you're gonna spe- you know you're gonna sell energy. For God's sakes, they don't know they're gonna get enough people to go to a space hotel. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one more on the space hotel and your calls about whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll free at eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features we give away, including archives. So if you've missed a moment of the show, just go and get them for free right there on the front page of the website, freetalklive.com. Your mattress was likely manufactured using all kinds of disturbing chemicals. Does this bother you? Well, it bothers some scientists, especially in the case of young children. Savvy Rest mattresses are made of 100% natural latex rubber, organic wool, and organic cotton. Try their crib mattresses, too. SavvyRest.com for the sleep you've been dreaming of. That's SavvyRest.com. 800-259-9231, talking about a space hotel. You know, Mark, a few years ago on the show when we talked about space freedom, we talked about the marketplace and getting the government, allowing the market, the free market or a somewhat free market handle space travel and getting the government out. Some of the objections we received from our listeners at the time was that, well, there just aren't enough people interested in space for this. There just aren't. You can't, you can't let the marketplace do this. Space is so important. It's the, the final frontier. We need someone out there doing research that we just can't count on the, the marketplace to do. And my answer at that time was, 
Well, there are plenty of Star Trek fans, and I imagine that they'd be more than interested in helping fund uh, space exploration on a voluntary basis. That, that was my it is after all the final frontier. Right. That, that was my answer at the time, and I, I still think it's a decent one. I think there are plenty of people that are fascinated by what's out there and would be more than willing to pony up some money voluntarily to some research expedition or some sort of organization that was taking on similar tasks as, uh, as NASA has appropriated for itself today. But now we actually have entrepreneurs who have stepped forward and put down, in this case, $3 billion onto the table to build a space hotel. Yeah. Now, look, when you're starting a business... I believe one of those objections uh, at the time, the first time we talked about the space thing, because NASA used to be one of my favorite programs. I believe one of those objections was mine. Oh, really? And, you know, it, obviously, we we all grow in, uh, in liberty and learn more and more. Right. But, uh, yeah, I... I I can see now, but I couldn't see that. NASA may have $3 billion at their disposal, Mark, but they couldn't do this, no, even if, if they wanted to. Right. If Absolutely. If you let this company, who's who's it, the, what's the name of the company I that's doing it? If you gave NASA $3 Galactic billion. Suite. What's that? Uh, Galactic Suite. Galactic Suite. If you gave um, you know, the money for this $3 billion to Galactic Suite, and you gave it to uh, NASA, <laughs> and you said, okay, build a hotel. If NASA actually got anything off the ground with that $3 billion, which I doubt, they would do anything but draw a bunch of pictures. Yeah, they could afford a model. Um, <laughs> they, you wouldn't want to stay. You'd die in their hotel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so when you go into business, especially a venture like this, building a space hotel, where it's going to cost $3 million for, uh, for four nights... If you go into a venture like this, you don't just say, oh, you want $3 billion? Here you go. No. Nobody just tosses around $3 billion. Bill Gates right. doesn't toss around $3 billion. So let's get into a little bit more detail here because it's interesting stuff. An American company intent on colonizing Mars, which sees Galaxy Suite as a first step, has since come on board. So this is after the $3 billion came in. Now, if they, if they land on Mars, can they claim it for themselves? I mean, the U.S. stuck a flag there and said, this is ours. Not by uh, not as uh, homesteading works as I understand it. You you wouldn't be able to claim the entire planet because you hadn't homesteaded the entire planet. You could fence off an area and develop that and claim that as your own. I think. Anyway, uh, private investors have also come in since from Japan and the United States and the United Arab Emirates. They're all in talks for uh, for coming on board. If uh, Mr. Claremont is secretive about the identity of his generous backer, he's more forthcoming about the custom he can expect. He says. We've calculated that there are 40,000 people in the world who could afford to stay at the hotel. Whether they will want to spend money on going into space, we just don't know. $4 million might be a lot to spend on a holiday, but those in the national space tourism industry say hoteliers have been slow on the uptake because no one thought the cost of space travel would come down as quickly as it has. Lactic Suite said the price included not only three nights in space... Guests also get eight weeks of intensive training at a James Bond-style space camp on a tropical island. Dude, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That's added value like you wouldn't believe. Well, uh, it's, it's going to cost you, but um, no, it's no, still no. amazing. No, no, that's the same price. How much is it to stay It's then? $4 million for three nights. I think it was, I had it backwards before. Yeah, $4 million for a three-day stay. And that includes the eight weeks at the special James Bond space camp. On the tropical island. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, Claremont says there's fear associated with it. It's a little more than I can afford. There's, But again, Mark, I know, it I'm never just, starts at our level. No, it's not going to. 
There's fear associated with going into space, said the entrepreneur. That's why the shuttle rocket will remain fixed to the space hotel for the duration of the guest stay, so they know they can get home again. In an era of concern over climate change, Galaxy Suite has no plan so far to offset the pollution implications of sending a rocket to carry just six guests at a time into space. But, says Claremont, I'm hopeful that the impact of seeing the Earth from a distance will stimulate the guests' urge to value and protect our planet. Oh, that was a nice little PR answer there. Yeah, wouldn't this be sad if uh, all of this was shut down because some environmentalist wacko decided, they're burning too much fuel, we can't have this, we can't, space travel's not for humans. That's a very, very real possibility. It sure as hell is. And it'll just completely shut this stuff down, this amazing development, this amazing advancement that we have, which inevitably, as more of this happens, you're going to see more development in more efficient fuels, because this is going to be one of the most costly aspects of getting to space. Right, they're going to want to do something about that. Right, it's going to be uh, reducing that cost, and so inevitably market uh, innovations will come out that will lower those prices. Maybe before you know it, we might have electric rockets of some sort. I don't know how that would work. I don't know if it'd be possible, but I've, I, know, I, something. I read enough science fiction to know that they believe that they can build stairs up into space. Um, wow. You know, that, that they can sort of make an elevator. Yeah, um, like the Jetsons. And, and, you know, magnetic catapults and things like that. So there's all kinds of ideas out there, floating out there. So how wonderful is this? I mean, it's happening now. Floating and, out there in space. And how great will the moment be, Mark, when the Space Hotel successfully launches? Again, they're targeting 2012, but let's say they're a little late. You know, 2015. Let's say that they launch this Space Hotel and the U.S. government and Russia... And the other countries, the government bureaucracies that are working on the International Space Station are still up there desperately trying to keep the space station from falling out of orbit and, you know, putting new pieces on that aren't working correctly. And, oh, no, more people are getting trapped up there. And you, you've got people flying up, taking, you know, weekend vacations in the space hotel. They can and- save the government be great. Save the government. We'll save the government employees that are up there dying. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the icing on the cake. But but just how wonderful will it be? Because it's going to get to that point. They take it's their going, little tour bus over, pick them up. It's going to get to the point where the governments are just going to have to say, why are we doing this? You're, people are going to say, why are you still doing this? Why are you messing with this International Space Station? We can fit more people in one room of our space hotel than you can fit in your entire space station. Well, they're going to do it for as long as, oh, they, as, can long as the, they can get away with yeah, it. Yeah, as long as they can get the funding. No doubt about it. Unless Ron Paul gets elected and shuts down NASA, that would be nice. I'll have to ask him about that if he comes back on the show. Oh, of course, i got a lot I'd like to ask Ron Paul about. I don't know if we'll actually get to that one. I want to know what Ron Paul thinks about secession. He's in favor of civil disobedience. What about secession? 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. Kevin in Minnesota. Yes, we will get to him and your calls as well. Anything goes... 800-259-9231. That's why we call the show Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 800-259-9231. Join us on our website, freetalklive.com. 
Features there are for free, including the wiki with over uh, over 1,500 pages created by listeners like you. You can get interactive over at wiki.freetalklive.com, W-I-K-I dot freetalklive.com. And the Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival is better known as Porkfest. It's happening June 9th through the 15th at Porkfest. You'll be able to meet hundreds of individuals who, like you, cherish liberty and are living the goal of liberty in our lifetime, as well as meet some of your Internet and Free Talk Live friends and make some new ones. Discover new freedoms, new communities, and new beginnings. Learn more at porkfest.com. That's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. We go to the phones to the fun. Kevin in Minnesota. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Kevin. Kevin, Minnesota, going once. I'm hello. Hey, Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind tonight? Hi, guys. Uh, real quick with what you guys were uh, talking about just earlier about the space thing and stuff like that. Yeah. A quick Native American joke as quick as I can. Okay. When the Native Americans first heard about that they were going to send a man to the moon, they all rushed together and got a delegate to go to NASA. And then they got a hold of John Glenn, and they said, um, when you go up there, you're going to meet some of our ancestors. So we want you to bring them this letter, but please don't open it until you, until you give it to them. And John Glenn is like, yeah, what? And he's like, our ancestors are there, so give him this letter. So okay. John Glenn puts it in his suit, and they take off, and he's on his way to the moon, and, and pretty soon curiosity takes him over, and he's like, what could they have put in this letter? And there's nobody on the moon. So he reached into his pocket, and he pulls out this letter, opens it up, and it says, don't sign anything. <laughs> oh, man. I'm Sorry. a little late with this, but... Uh... <laughs> It's coming but, one of these days. There we go. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, good I, advice. <laughs> I, I talked to you guys last night. I was like the last caller, and we were talking about commercialism. Yeah, you're going to have to recap all that because we I don't were, remember. We were talking about, listeners. I had a mixed feelings about commercialism because I am in the process of trying to get something um, from scratch into production, and I'm looking into all the costs and the overhead and stuff like that. Okay, you're and, an inventor. Um, well, I would say an armchair inventor. Okay. I'd come up with some ideas, and I'd like to see the feasibility of it coming out there. All right, sure. And we were discussing about if a, if a, an example I gave you is if a widget costs three cents and you charge 50 cents for it. And that ideal of capitalism to me didn't seem fair and you were saying what was wrong with that yeah there's not a darn thing wrong with it because you have to understand that in the marketplace in an unregulated marketplace where anybody's free to jump into uh, an industry or a product at any old time and compete then prices will only be what the market will bear because there's a certain point at which someone's just going to say no that's okay i'll pass on that and not buy your product so you have to lower the price to a certain point at which people are going to buy your product in enough quantity to make manufacturing it worthwhile. So if you can get away with charging 50 cents per unit and everybody else is charging 65, then you're the best deal on the market and everybody's going to go to you, presuming your product is of equal quality. So, you know, I don't know if you're really looking at from the, you know, the macro perspective there. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at from like... You know, once you get into production, if you're going to have a store and if you're going to have employees and the people that put it together and there's that full overhead cost and advertising and all mm-hmm. these little things that add up to the big picture of it and stuff. But then my one thing is, how rich does somebody have to be? To do what? I mean, I mean like these billionaires, these billionaires that just have money flowing out of every orifice and and they could never spend every penny they have. 
do we really need to get that rich? Well, that's up well, to them. I it's, mean, it, it's up to you. You can decide how rich you want to get. But um, those people did get rich by providing other people with things that they wanted. People that vo- people in, in some cases, most cases, people well, usually it, voluntarily rich. traded their money for the things that those billionaires had to offer. Right. So they earned it. That's a it. good thing. And they can, you know, a lot of these people are very, very charitable. They uh, give billions of their billions to to charities, and they help people that are in need of of assistance. And if they didn't have that money, they wouldn't be able to uh, to do those charitable things. So, well, an, an example of of what I was learned is is I look into the Federal Reserve and the creation of the Federal Reserve and all these world bankers and stuff, and then you find out that these world bankers start nonprofit organizations just for the purpose of using it as a tax write-off and as a means of getting more stuff. Where so? if you have a nonprofit organization that all you have to really do is put 10% towards what your profit is geared at, yeah. and that's considered fine. Well, I don't think we should have taxes in the first place. So if someone's trying to avoid paying them, I cheered them on whether they, you know, whether they make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year. Anything they can do to avoid the government snatching away their money from them, I'm absolutely in favor of. Well, if, if, if my products ever make billions of dollars, I promise at some point one of my charitable funds will be the free state for you guys. <laughs> Excellent. But Excellent. I'm still trying to get my own reservation to branch off from the government. Hey, if you can, if you can uh, get your reservation to secede from the union, I'm all for that. Well, now, let I me always... say something here, Kevin, because I don't want to make it sound like everybody with money is wonderfully charitable. I'm sure there are people out there that are just greedy, 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 and they just want to hoard all their money and not give it to anybody. Inevitably, there will be people out there like that. But the existence of those people doesn't justify government coming in, and I don't know if that's what you're suggesting, but it doesn't justify government coming in and forcefully redistributing their wealth. It just no, no, doesn't. I, I, I am not for that at all. I, I, I'm way into like small business, and I'm wishing that we went back to the Constitution as far as the state right. had the ultimate power and not the federal getting into everything. You know, So I agree with that. And actually, I'm learning more about libertarianism Libertarianism, libertarianism. because I am uh, I'm undeclared as anything. Well, here's another point. Here's here's another one for you. Even though you might have somebody, let's take this sort of uh, fantasy idea of the uh, the rich man that's hoarding all of his money. If you've got billions of dollars, you're not keeping it in your spare bedroom. Uh, you know, that's you've got it invested, you've got it in bank accounts, you've got it in different areas, probably diversified in various different areas. So the fact is, even the man, the wealthy man that is hoarding his money, whether he likes it or not, that money's being used to help other people get, um, gain more wealth. When you go and take out a loan, you're taking out from a bank, you're taking out some of that wealthy man's money from that bank to use to build your business. And so even the man who believes he's greedily hoarding it and collecting all that interest for himself, yeah, he is collecting interest, but it's because the money that he that he owns is being used by l- l- people like us that don't have as much money to uh, to create more wealth and uh, and build our businesses with. So there's no way they can really even effectively hoard the money and not get it in, and not allow it into other people's hands because you just can't put a billion dollars in your spare bedroom. Well, I, I I have to say that I love disagreeing with you guys, but mm-hmm. I love it more when I agree with what you guys say. And one last thing with Mark, congratulations, I heard you're going to have a child. We are. And in that aspect, is it okay if I say hello to my four-year-old daughter? <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Infinity.
infinity. Oh, that's excellent. You know, you so, snuck in a shout-out, and that's not allowed on this show, Kevin. <laughs> okay, well, I'm trying you to get her us a free up. talk listener. That's not fair. He only asked if he could have a shout-out, yeah, and that's I asked true. what her name was. That's yeah, true. she's a free talk listener, so... Oh, good. Well, it's good to start them early. That way you we bet. can... Are you not sending her to government school, are you? Oh, no, homeschooling. Right, good. Excellent. Well done, You guys sir. have a great night. Hey, dude, thanks for the call. Thanks for the follow-up on that, because sometimes people will call in at the very end of the show. They'll bring up some great topic like that one. That was a good one. Uh, important issue, because a lot of people are concerned about those rich people. What are they, they, they shouldn't be allowed to keep their money, and that's not what he was saying. But a lot of people are concerned about that. Uh, so it's so nice when someone will call in and will say, oh, man, we're out of time. Call us back tomorrow night. And they actually call back. Because it doesn't always happen. 800-259-9231. Hey, Mark, speaking of money, the government's going to be cutting you checks soon, aren't they? <laughs> they sure are. Woo-hoo! And they're not going to be cutting you one. Oh. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to hurry up and file some taxes so I can get my $300 back. <laughs> Congressional leaders announce rebates for 117 million families. Hmm. We'll get into that and see what it's all about. 800-259-9231. Government's going to give you some money back. You should be happy about that. What are you going to do with your money? That's what ABC News was asking. I wish I could read the responses. We'll share the story with you, and you can take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever's on your mind. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Like the show. Want to help support Free Talk Live? Then go shopping with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. When you enter Amazon through that link, Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. And by the way, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but our international listeners, many of you uh, can take part in this. Uh, We have the German Amazon. We're participating in their program. We have the UK, the United Kingdom Amazon, and the Canadian Amazon. So if you're in one of those uh, three areas, you can also shop with Free Talk Live. If you just go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, you'll automatically be sent to the appropriate website. And when you enter again through that link, Free Talk Live gets a cut. Again, that's Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Speaking of getting a cut, (laughs) government's going to be cutting some checks soon. Mark, what's happening? Congressional, according to uh, Washington, through the AP on uh, abcnews.com, congressional leaders announced a deal with the White House Thursday on an economic stimulus package that would give most tax filers refunds of 600 to $1,200 and more mm. if they have children. Wow. They're just going to give money out? Well, they don't just have money to give out. It's your money. But they're going to give me my money back? Extra money? Well, if you were to write, um, if I had a business where you sent me money and then I sent you back money, I'd have to have, you know, people to uh, process all the money that I got in, Mm -hmm. computers and buildings and all kinds of overhead. So I'd have to keep some of your money to run my business Mm -hmm. just to give you your money back. And that's what the government's doing. But still, Mark, maybe this government thing isn't so bad after all. They're giving people some of their money back. Well, this is, um, in some cases, people will be getting checks that they didn't pay in. Um, hmm. A lot of people really don't pay that much in, in taxes. Well, as I understand it, there's also more to this story. Why don't you continue on? Maybe they'll talk about it in the article, maybe not. But I, I believe this is, uh, I have an insight as to how this is really going to work. I'm interested. Okay. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Congress would act on the agreement hammered out in a week of intense negotiations with Republican (laughs) leader John A. 
Bayern. Uh, the Treasury Secretary, Henry Paulson, at the earliest... You know how intense these negotiations I'm were. Sure, they were yeah. sitting down at the table going, all right, the recession is coming, guys. What are we going to do? We need to figure this out. We need to make ourselves look good. We need to make ourselves look like we're doing something important. Okay, we need to look like we're working together. All right, now I'm going to sit here at this table because I saw the picture. you got Bush sitting next to Nancy Pelosi. It looks like they're... Buddy, buddy, helping each other out here, helping the American people. We're all They're willing to put together. their differences aside yep. to help the American people. We're pulling together in a time of need. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. And if you at, believe that. At the earliest date, so these rebate, bridge to sell you. So that these rebate checks will be in the mail. President Bush praised the agreement in a statement he delivered to reporters at the White House. This package has the right set of policies and is the right size, he said. We know. We, we had a blue ribbon panel. This is <laughs> the right set of policies and the right size. This isn't some random number we threw together. This wasn't the most we could come up with and still not have to uh, give up our uh, you know paid junkets or whatever it is that they had to do. Um, before I go on, ABC News has a little little poll where you can um, you can uh, not a poll, but you can write in and tell them what do you plan to do with your check? Yes. It's like you won the freaking lottery, six hundred stinking dollars. I thought it was three for some reason. I thought it was three, but now they're saying six. I six to twelve, and I would assume that means for you know two tax-paying adults. Okay. More if you have children. The rebates, which would go to about 116 million families, um, and that's a lot of people. 116 million. There's 300 million people in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm. Had a, um, had appeal for both Democrats and Republicans. Pelosi's staff noted that they would include 28 billion dollars in checks to 30. Five million working families who wouldn't have been helped by Bush's original proposal. So the Democrats made sure that some some people that looking out for the little guy never paid in right. got the, you know welfare checks. Republicans, for their part, were pleased that the bulk of the um, that the bulk of the rebates, more than seventy percent, according to an analyst by Congress's Joint Tax Committee, would go to individuals who pay taxes. Individuals who pay income taxes would get up to six hundred dollars. Working couples up twelve to, up to. So there is. Well, they have to pay that in. Okay, got it. So if you pay in, you know, a certain amount, then you'll get six hundred dollars. Okay. All right. Working couples up to twelve, and those with children, an additional three hundred dollars per child under the agreement. Mm. So quick, have babies. <laughs> Workers who. How come uh, I'm going to have a kid in March? Now the check's going to probably be here in February. Am I? Not, I'm not going to get a check. Is it for, that soon? Is that what they said? I, I thought it was going to be say February. May. They said they were going to get it in, in the mail, and I assume okay. that right away. I don't know. All right. The re- well, but there's somebody out there that's going to have a baby in June. Yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> there's a fetus in there right now. <laughs> We've got a name. I want my money. <laughs> it is their that money, though. That funny. It is. The rebate part of the plan would cost about $100 billion, Aid said. The package also included uh, close to $50 billion in business ca- tax cuts. Now, I think this is a good thing. The more tax cuts for businesses, the better, as far as I'm concerned. The yeah, package would I allow, question it. Keep going. The package would allow businesses to immediately write off. I think that they do know that we're going into a recession, Ian, and I think that they yeah. do know that cutting taxes um, can help stop that. You keep going. The package would allow businesses to immediately write off 50% of purchases of plants and other capital equipment and uh, permit small businesses to write off additional purchases of equipment. Republican written prov- A Republican written provision to allow businesses suffering losses now to reclaim taxes previously paid was dropped. Pelosi... Uh, Democrat California agreed to drop increases in food stamps and unemployment benefits during a Wednesday meeting in exchange for gaining the rebates of at least $300 for most everyone earning a paycheck, including those who would make too little to pay income taxes. I can't say I'm totally pleased with the package, 
but I do not know um, that. It, but I do know that it will help stimulate the economy. But it is, if it does not, there will be more to come," said Pelosi. So you know she's in there fighting for the little guy and wants to make sure that uh, we all get a little money in these hard times. The government cares about you. And uh, Berner said that the agreement was uh, not easy for the two of us and our respective uh, caucuses. He added, the two caucuses have come together and to work out a bipartisan way to reach a compromise that I think is the, in the best interest of the American people. Back-patting. Yeah. Paulson said that he, he would uh, work with the House and Senate to enact the package as soon as possible because speed is of the essence. Yes. The Treasury Department had... Has its, go, uh, go, government. The Treasury Department has already been uh, talking to the IRS about getting the checks out as quickly as possible, recognizing the tax filing season is ongoing. Is so, anyone saying anything here about actual time timetables, or is it just, we want to be quick? I, so far, that's all I've uh, all right. noticed. I haven't seen a date uh, pop out in here. Yeah, we'll see how long this takes. It said, I mean, you know, you'll get one of these, so you'll let me know, right? I will get, okay. uh, get a check. I mean, other than a majority... Uh, Leader How, uh, Harry Reid said that the goal is to send the package to the White House by February the 15th for President Bush's signature. Okay. So, um, you know, beyond that, I don't so know. So they aren't even going to get the signature for another month and a half, or another another uh, three, four weeks? Correct. Okay. There you go. That's it. That's well, well, it. You want me to you you want me to go back and uh, begin reading? I thought no, that you were. I just wasn't sure suggesting if, uh, that we should be done. No, I didn't know if it was over yet or not. No, we're n- nowhere near it. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care about the political backpatting part. I'm just curious if the article actually reveals how this is going to work. They're going to send you a check. Yeah, but where's the money come from? I would assume taxes. Well, according to uh, some of the comments here, David sixty four at ABC News writes: Does anyone realize this is just an advance on your 08 taxes? This is what happened in 2001. You remember when they did this before? Mm-hmm. Uh, they sent the checks out. Then when you did your taxes, you found out that the rebate counted toward your total refund. Next thing I you know... I never found that out. You didn't find that out? Mm, I didn't find that out. No, I didn't do my taxes at the time. I had an accountant. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, th- that uh, the rebate counted toward your total refund. Next thing you know, if you didn't take out enough money from your paycheck, you owed money instead of getting anything back. Both parties are just trying to make you feel good now. Then after the election, you find out you owe it back. If you think the government's just going to give you your money, you're living a fairy tale. So if this process has anything to do with what they did back in 2001, they're just giving you an advance payment on your 2008 taxes. The the taxes you've... Not this year. You're paying 2007 this year. Mm -hmm. So next year, when you pay your 2008 taxes... You aren't going to get $300 you would have gotten. If you were going to get a, a rebate mm-hmm. from the government next year and it was going to be $400, you'll get 100 If you were going to get a rebate of $100, then you'll owe them $200. If you're getting $300, if it's $600, you'll owe them more. That's what they're saying here. There's uh, several comments to that effect on this article. So that's the real deal. It's not like government's doing you a favor and cutting you a break. They're just advancing you a little bit of your rebate money back. Yeah, that's th- all. This article says nothing like that, yep. but I don't suspect it would. Nope. So I mean, that's what the real situation's going to be. People really do believe that the government magically uh, you know, makes money, and they really do ma- magically make sure. money. But, yeah, that makes more sense. Uh-huh. That makes a great deal of sense. There you go. <laughs> so it's going to be $600 for couples. I believe it is $300 for individuals as well, which is actually the same amount as it was back in 2001. No, and it's $600 per person and $1,200 for a couple really? is what they're claiming in this okay. article. All right. 
1-800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. Hour number three is on the way. We're going to talk about child labor. And I want to hear from you as well about whatever's on your mind. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. The show is Free Talk Live. We are launching into hour number three of the program. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features there we give away. So enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. As always, lots to talk about here, even in the delay, uh, remaining hour of the show. And I want to share, uh, share an article by actually uh, one of the guys we read something from last night, uh, Jeffrey Tucker. Just total coincidence. The guy's got a couple really good ones here. Uh, this one's about child labor laws. And talk about something that is really misunderstood in American culture. Absolutely. Uh, people in this culture believe, in this society, believe that children are precious. And they must be protected from birth all the way till the end of college. They should be protected from from working, from having to go out and, and pretend like they're adults and, they and learn to, skills. And They need to have, you know, to be children during their childhood. Right. And, and you we know, keep on stretching what childhood is right. as long as we possibly can to the point that we now have, you know, 22-year-old college students who, uh, you know, college students become this, uh, synonymous with drunk. Right. Well, then there's also the, uh, of course, the the phenomenon of the helicopter parent who uh, goes to college basically with their kids. Mm-hmm. They don't room with their kids, but essentially they sort of hover like a helicopter very close nearby in case uh, you know the youngster needs something, an influx of cash, or they'll, uh, they'll fill out fill out the uh, forms for the kid, their laundry done, their bed made, uh, that sort of thing. So this uh, this childification of America, this mentality is, I think, very dangerous. But you know, if they're your kids and you want to keep them as young and as innocent as possible for as long as possible, then that should be your business. I- I'm fine with that. If they're your kids. You can shield them from whatever aspects of this society and culture that you would like. Okay, that's fine. But the problem comes in when you mandate that everyone raise their kids in the same manner. Mm. When you mandate that everyone's kids must follow the same rules. That's where the problems come in, and that's what Jeffrey Tucker's. Uh, addressing here from InsideCatholic.com, LewRockwell.com. He says, let's say you want your computer fixed or your software explained. You could shell out big bucks to the geek squad, or you can ask, but you can't hire a typical teenager or even a preteen. Their experience with computers in the online world is vastly superior to most people over the age of 30. Yeah. From the point of view of online technology, it is the young who rule, and yet they are professionally powerless. They're forbidden by law from earning wages from their expertise. Might these folks have something to offer the workplace? And might the young benefit from a bit of early work experience as well? Well, perhaps, but we'll never know, thanks to antiquated federal, state, and local laws that make it a crime to hire a kid. Well, uh, speaking as someone who started work at age 12, Mm -hmm. I would say that it was the most, uh, it was was far more valuable to me than high school. No doubt about it. I'm the same way. Uh, I wasn't collecting a paycheck at that age, but I was helping my mother out in her thrift store. I wasn't collecting a paycheck either. I was, uh, until 15, I think that was the legal um, limit. I was getting credit at the comic book store I was working Mm -hmm. at. That's what I would have spent my money on anyway. So essentially I was earning. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, it made a big difference for me as well. It really helped me learn the ropes of customer service and running a register and, and just interacting with people. Uh, it really um, made it so the first job I had, 
at 16, the first real job I had at 16, uh, I held on to that for three and a half years while most of my friends were dropping in and out of jobs like, you know, they were nothing. Yeah. What do uh, they care? Pop culture accepts these laws as a normal part of national life, a means to forestall, uh, forestall a dicks. Dickensian nightmare of sweatshops and the capitalist exploitation of children. It's time we rid ourselves of images of children tied to rug looms in the developing world. <laughs> the kids I'm talking about are one of the most courted of all consumer sectors. Society wants them to consume, but law forbids them to produce. You might be surprised to know that the laws against child labor actually don't date from the 18th century. Indeed, the national law against child labor didn't pass until the Great Depression in 1938. With the Fair Labor Standards Act. I wonder why. It was the same law that gave us a minimum wage and defined what constitutes full-time and part-time work. This is a... I hate this law. This law has been a thorn in my side for a long time. Back when I was uh, working, I never understood. I never understood why I, as an individual, could not choose to work more than 40 hours. The damn government was telling these business owners that they couldn't have me in there to work more than 40 hours. Whether I was 18 or 20 or 16, they don't want you to work more than 40 hours because the government forces them to pay you more beyond 40 hours. Right. So they'd just as soon hire somebody else. Whereas I'd rather work the extra 10 hours. But nope, sorry, not an option thanks to mommy government taking care of us. Can't make decisions for yourself. Anyway, so this law gave us the minimum wage. Uh, and it was a handy way to raise wages and lower the unemployment rate, simply to find whole sectors of the potential workforce as unemployable. Right. By the time this legislation passed, however, it was mostly a symbol, a classic case of Washington chasing a trend in order to take credit for it. Youth labor was expected in the 18th and 17th centuries, even welcome since remunerative work opportunities were newly present. But as prosperity grew with the advance of commerce, more kids left the workforce. By 1930, only 6.4% of kids between well, they the ages... weren't forced to enter the workforce. Nope. You know, uh, their, parents, their, their parents got more wealthy. What they wanted for their children was to be wealthier than them, so they said, go to school. In order to, for them to go to school, they couldn't work and support the family. Right. By 1930, only 6.4% of kids between the ages of 10 and 15 were actually employed, and three out of four of those were in agriculture. In wealthier, where, where parents were having kids for the purposes of putting them to work. Right, and you can still do that with your own children, but now right. you, you you can't. They can't go out and earn their own, you know gumball money by uh, going and doing some work for and and learning the value of of hard work. Right, doing more desirable work instead of you know building fences and milking cows. In wealthier urban industrialized areas, child labor was largely gone, and more and more kids were being schooled. Cultural factors were important here, but the most important consideration was economic. More developed uh, economies permit parents to purchase their children's education out of the family's surplus income, if only by foregoing what would otherwise be their earnings. The law itself, then, forestalled no nightmare, nor did it impose one. In those days, there was rising confidence that education was the key to saving the youth of America. Stay in school, get a degree or two, and you'd be fixed up for life. Of course, that was before academic standards slipped further and further, and schools themselves began to function as national, a national child-sitting service. Today, we're far more likely to recognize the contribution that disciplined work makes to the formation of character. I know it made a difference for me. Yeah. And yet we're stuck with these laws, which are incredibly complicated once you factor in all the state and local variations. Kids under the age of 16 are forbidden to earn an income in remunerative employment outside of family business. If dad is a blacksmith, you can learn to pound iron with the best of them. But if dad works for a law firm, you're out of luck. 
From the outset, federal law made exceptions for kid movie stars and performers. Why? It probably has something to do with how Shirley Temple led box office receipts from 1934 to 1938. She was one of the highest earning stars of the period. If you're 14 or 15, you can ask. And your, you know these schedules that they have these some of these kids on are just they're they're backbreaking. The movie uh, schedules. Yeah it's, yeah, it's incredible the amount of time these kids spend. You can't tell me that a kid can't handle a long work day. It's uh, If you're 14 or 15, you can ask your public school for a waiver and work a limited number of hours when school's not in session. And that goes for you, too, homeschoolers. Well, they and, have to be able to keep track of you, you know. <laughs> and if you're in private school or homeschool, you must go ask your local social service agency, not exactly the most welcoming bunch. The public school itself is also permitted to run work programs. The point about approved labor is an interesting one, if you think about it. The government doesn't seem to mind so much if a kid spends all non-school hours away from the home, family, and church, but it forbids them from engaging in private sector work during the time when they could otherwise be in public schools drinking from the well of civic culture. The law exemptions also made for delivering newspapers, as if bicycles rather than cars were still the norm for this activity. Here's another strange exemption. Youth working at home in the making of wreaths composed of natural holly, pine, cedar, or other evergreens, including the harvesting of the evergreens. Perhaps the wreath lobby was more powerful during the Great Depression than in our own time? <laughs> I guess. It's amazing. Oh, and there's one final exception. As incredible as this may be, federal law, you know, the government people looking to protect your kids from work, it allows states to allow kids to work for... A state or local government at any age. And, of course. And there are no hourly restrictions. Can you believe that? I, I've never heard of it being done, but I certainly believe that the state is always going to make it yeah, the, the fewest regulations as possible on itself. The exemptions, or the exceptions rather, cut against the dominant theory of the laws that it's somehow evil to commodify the labor of kids. If it's wonderful to be a child movie star, congressional page, or home-based wreath maker, why is it wrong to be a teenage software fixer, a grocery bagger, or ice cream scooper? It makes no sense! More on the way, child labor. Should we bring it back? I say absolutely. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Get signed up for the updates. We'll keep you in the loop whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. You will know first if you're on the list. Go to updates.freetalklive.com to get on it. It's free, of course. That's updates.freetalklive.com. How would you like to lose up to 25 pounds in just nine days? Without permanently changing your diet, check out these amazing doctor-recommended products. Go to ftldiscount.com, read some real testimonials, and find out how to order. It's ftldiscount.com. They even have a uh, 30-day cleanse for the less adventurous. We are talking about child labor laws and how absolutely asinine and terrible they are for our economy and our freedom. Uh, They came into effect back in the 30s under FDR during the Depression, and... uh, Basically, to get kids out of the uh, out of the competition, 
for with yeah. for adults. Yep. With, uh, it wasn't because kids were being exploited or kids were being abused. That wasn't the case. In fact, very few kids were even in the workplace at that time because Americans were getting wealthier and wealthier and were voluntarily pulling their kids out of the workforce. And again, if you're free to choose what job you work at, you can't be exploited because you can leave any time. The only way you can be exploited is if you're a slave. And that obviously was prohibited by that time. So uh, so Jeffrey Tucker uh, is is exploring this, and we'll continue exploring it here in a moment. We'd love to hear from you as well. And the, you know, the whole concept here is that kids should be kids for as long as possible. This is the mentality that goes into it, beyond the issue of exploitation. That was one of the excuses that they use. But these days, if you were to talk to somebody who's in favor of these child labor laws, they would tell you that they believe that kids should be protected from the world of adulthood. They believe that they really kids, do. right? They believe that kids should be as childlike as possible for as long as possible. And there are some real, uh, there are real problems with that mentality. Sure, it doesn't cause, it, it doesn't allow kids to take responsibility for their lives. They start. Um, some of them want to be treated like adults. They begin to act out. Right. Uh, we can explore some of that here in a moment. But let's go to the phones first and talk to Rich in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live, Rich. Oh, hey, Hello? Rich. What's on your mind? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying your show. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, this is a topic that's uh, one of my favorites. Now, uh, as you may know, I moved to New Hampshire as a member of the Free State Project. Excellent. And I do live here in Grafton. Beautiful and Grafton. there is a, a, let's say, libertarian family that lives here in Grafton. Mm-hmm. they got three kids. Two of them are adults, and they're doing really well. They're homeschoolers. And the youngest one is 16 years old. And instead of doing the kind of things that you or I were doing in high school, this guy, he's 16 years old, and he is an apprentice for a cabinet maker. Hmm. So he's making, well, I, I don't know how much money he's making, but I know he's making money, and he's learning a skill that he's going to have for the rest of his life that will keep him always uh, gainfully employed. Probably, and yeah. As long as he can move his, you know, um, as long as he's in... A good physical shape, he can do it. Right, and and so when I learn about stuff like this, it just the more I, it it makes me realize just how badly I got screwed by being put through the public school system, mm. where I was basically in you know learning being indoctrinated and not even realizing it instead of learning something that and. Uh, Making making decent money and and learning something that I could take with me for the rest of my life. Now I'm going to mm-hmm. play devil's advocate with you here. Uh, the defenders of the child labor laws would say, "Well, Rich, you were learning, and that's important. Uh, that when you're a young person, you can learn better. Your brain is more receptive to learning at that time. Don't you think you should have been learning instead of out swinging a hammer?" Well, well, actually, uh, the way I see it is this: what we call learning in the government schools is actually indoctrination. And I would much rather be out, you know, well, let's put it this way. When I think back to my career in school, every once in a while we, we, we would go on a field trip. And so we weren't in class taking notes and whatever. We were out actually doing something mm-hmm. and, and experiencing certain things. Like I remember when I was in first grade, we went to a, a dairy farm. And we went to a, a toy factory and hmm. and like that. And, and I remember that I got far more out of that one day on a field trip than I did in all the weeks and months sitting in the classroom. 
Absolutely. So, in fact, uh, I don't know if you. I know you were at the uh, the Liberty Forum this year, and there were some homeschoolers uh, that were there. So, uh, some organizations supporting homeschoolers there. Right. And we had a couple of the ladies on the show for a segment, or one of the ladies came on the show uh, for a segment. She told us, didn't she tell us that her her kids had graduated college at like eleven and thirteen? I thought they were going into college at like uh, twelve and thirteen. My point here, though, is that if you look at homeschoolers. And you look at how their kids have have been able to absorb so much more information at so much a younger age than government school graduates. Really, you could have kids in a free market economy with real market competition in education. You could have kids educated to the point where high school graduates are educated today by age 8 or 9. And you could have them having a college education, certainly by age 12, and they could be into the workforce by that point. But so you miss- don't, it doesn't have to be an either-or thing. You can have the best of both worlds. Kids getting into the workplace at a young age age and getting an education but they miss the 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 socialization they don't get properly cussed at and they don't learn (laughs) how to how to knife fight and and they don't know what it's like to live in a little beehive of activity where everybody tells you what to do every minute of the day and that's important well you know whenever i hear somebody talk about socialization my response to that is what do you think this is a socialist country hmm well, there's plenty of ways for kids to socialize. I mean, they can yeah, go the, the and join thing, the chess have, club. Well, they have all kinds of uh, programs for homeschoolers. If if you're any any kind of metropolitan area, they get together and they do activities. Many of the schools will let them participate in sports, so they don't have to miss out on football right. or anything like that. You know, it just it, to me it, it it's 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 such an unnatural experience. Public school is school in general is such an unnatural experience. Where we're in Being the herded around from condition. class to class. Where do you get kids together and keep them together as far as ages in these little groups? And it just—I mean—it's an efficient way, I suppose, to teach. But I don't even know about that, Mark. It, 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 I don't either. You know, speaking of uh, how about a famous uh, homeschooler or one who was in the workforce at a very early age? How about Benjamin Franklin? Hmm. I would imagine most kids his age crap. were, um, you know, at that time frame were probably homeschooled. Right, and he was working at his father's printing press, and at a very, very early age, he was quite the writer and thinker. Mm. Very interesting. Rich, any other thoughts for us tonight? Uh, Vote Ron Paul. Well, we (laughs) will. And we did, actually. Thanks for the call, dude. 800-259-9231. So, uh, back to Jeffrey Tucker at uh, LiveRockwell.com and InsideCatholic.com. He points out that once you get past the exceptions, and remember, we're talking about these federal child labor laws, and there are state and local ones as well, to make it even more confusing. The bottom line is clear. Full-time work in the private sector, for hours of their own choosing, is permitted only to those children who are 18 and older, by which time a child is already past the age when he can be influenced toward a solid work ethic. And I tell you, Mark, my girlfriend Julia is a manager at a Panera Bread, mm-hmm. and she sees this. All of the time. Yeah. These young people at age 18, 17, 19, some even, you know, in their early 20s, getting their first job. And they are like little kids. And Jeffrey Tucker is going to comment on that here, and we want to hear from you as well. Are you in management? Have you experienced this? Can you give us some stories as to what it's like dealing with these kids, these first-timers at 18 years old coming in and getting their first job? What's it like? Give us your story, 800-259-9231, because it ain't easy, I will tell you that. More on the way, this is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, 
Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features there we give away... And they include live streams, so uh, tune on in to the broadband version or dial-up versions of the show. They're both there, and they're both free at freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy. So your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 800-544-6359. That's 1-800-544-6359. We're talking about child labor laws and why they need to be eliminated. We need to open the marketplace up to allow parents who want their kids to be able to work to have them be able to work. They can't right now. If I as a parent, Mark, you're going to be a parent soon. I am not. But uh, if, if as a parent, I decide that working for me as a young person was such a valuable experience in my life and I want my child to have a similar experience... My options are pretty darn limited. Yeah. I can have them work at my business, but I do a radio show, and you know, there's not really anything I can hire them to do. Uh, I don't have any opportunities for interns. There's not really any opportunity here at this show at this time. So my kid would be SOL. Uh, you, I guess, could put them on the phones doing sales for you, Mark, but I don't know how effective that would be. Really ineffective. Yeah. Uh, so you know, they'd be SOL because we don't have family businesses that they could work at. And so the young person and our, our child would be, uh, in that case, stuck. <laughs> you act like we're having a child. <laughs> <laughs> our children would be uh, would be stuck in a rut until they became of legal age to go out and get themselves a real job and actually get real life work experience. And there are some real unintended consequences of this. Let's get into it. Jeffrey Tucker from LeRockwell.com and InsideCatholic.com says, What's lost in the bargain? Kids no longer have the choice to work for money. Parents who believe their children would benefit from their experience, like from, from the experience, are at a loss. Consumers who would today benefit from our teens' technological know-how, like with computers, uh, have no commercial way to do so. They've been forcibly excluded from the matrix of exchange. There's a social cultural point too. Employers will tell you that most kids coming out of college are radically unprepared for a regular job. Mm. It's not so much that they lack skills or that they can't be trained. It's that they don't understand what it means to serve others in a workplace setting. Right. They have to be babied. Um, <laughs> totally. Their, their Bikram's yoga class is more important than uh, you know coming, to, uh, coming back to work on time from lunch. They resent being told what to do. They tend not to follow through. And they work by the clock instead of the task. In other words, they aren't socialized into how the labor market works. Indeed, if we perceive a culture of sloth, irresponsibility, and entitlement among today's young, perhaps we ought to look here for a contributing factor. And it's absolutely the case. As I mentioned earlier, Julia, my girlfriend, is a manager at uh, Panera Bread. And she's, if you've ever been into a Panera Bread, you know that uh, their employees are generally of the younger set. They're generally under 25, many of them under 20. And so for a lot of these kids, I mean, for lack of a better term, because that's how many of them behave, for, lack, for, for most of these kids, this is their first job. This is where they're learning the ropes. And they just 
they are just out of it, man. She talks about it like it's babysitting. It's like glorified babysitting service Mm. in that, you know, kids will come in with their hats crooked to the side. They're supposed to wear a hat and they're supposed to have their T-shirt tucked in. And it's like a fighting a constant battle just to get this basic crap done and to get them to adhere to the most basic, understandable and simple rules. Right. You know, in in public school, they these uh, these rules were you know, arbitrary. The punishments uh, weren't. Uh, the, the the schools don't have the ability to kick somebody out for not uh, wearing the right uniform, and I'd be outraged if they did. But you know, in in the workplace, if you're talking about there's a uniform to work here, right? Really? No, really. Turn your freaking hat straight. Put your shirt back in, and the next time I see it, you're out of here. Yeah, you know what? You're interesting. It's interesting you bring that up, Mark, because I think that uh, just knowing how I was in, in government school, very anti-authoritarian, I didn't like to be told what to do. So if someone were to tell me I was supposed to wear something or not wear something, then I would want to rebel against that. It would be my natural instinct to say, yeah, well, screw you. Put my hat to the side or something like that. Uh, and so they get that attitude from the government schools, and they think that everything's like government school. So they transfer that attitude to their place of business when there's a reason for it in their place of business. There's no reason for it beyond arbitrary decision of bureaucrats at the government school. But in the business, you need to make a good impression on the customers to keep them coming back. And so there's a reason. Yeah, you need to provide the customers with an atmosphere that they can expect. Expectation is huge in uh, just human interaction. You can, you know, you can uh, tell somebody that you're going to give them a million free dollars tomorrow. Well, you give them a thousand free dollars, and their expectations haven't been met. They're gonna mm-hmm. be like, "What about the million?" Now, likely they'll take the thousand and try to be happy about it, and surely they will. But you can understand right there, right there, in that, um, in, in that the person has done nothing except show up. And I said I was gonna give a million dollars. I only gave them a thousand. It's about expectations, and when somebody knows what they're going to see in a business, when you provide them with the same colors mm-hmm. over and over again, you provide them with consistent food. In the case of um, you know some restaurants, some fast food restaurants, they don't provide you with particularly good food. It just tastes the same every time. Even that's an issue. Uh, they're supposed to use measuring devices to put some of the food on, and sometimes she just catches kids using their hands. They know better. Whatever. It's like babysitting. Anyway, he says the law is rarely questioned today, but it's... It is fact that child labor laws didn't come about easily. It took more than a hundred years of wrangling. The first advocates of keeping kids out of factories were women's labor unions who didn't appreciate the low-wage competition. Right. And true it's to form, it's always about the competition. Yep. True to form, labor unions have been a reliable ex- have been lo- reliable exclusionists ever since. Opposition didn't consist of mining companies looking for cheap labor, but rather parents and clergy alarmed that a law against child labor would be a blow against freedom. They predicted it would amount to the nationalization of children, which is to say the government, rather than the parents or the child, would emerge as the final authority and locus of decision-making. And guess what? They were right. To give you a flavor of the opposition, consider this funny beatitude uh, read by Congressman Fritz Lanham of Texas. Beatitude? Beatitude? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, read by Fritz Lanham of Texas on the U.S. House floor in 1924 as point of opposition to a child labor ban then being considered. So this guy was uh, in opposed uh, opposition to it. Here's what he wrote. Consider the federal agent in the field. He toils not, nor does he spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon and all his populous household was not arrayed with powers like one of these. Children, obey your agents from Washington, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, for the government has created them, but a little lower than the federal agent. Love, honor, and disobey them. 
What whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, tell it to thy father and mother, and let them do it. Six days shalt thou do all thy rest, and on the seventh day thy parents shall rest with thee. Go to the bureau, officer, thou sluggard, consider his ways, and be idle. Toil, thou farmer's wife, thou shalt have no servant in thy house, nor let thy children help thee. And all thy children shall be taught of the federal agent, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Thy children shall rise up and call the federal agent blessed. <laughs> Suggesting that feds are lazy and do nothing, and children should look up to them as... Uh, their their role models and and that that the parents are going to have to serve the children because right. well they they aren't going to teach be able to even teach the kid how to work now in in our current child labor laws do allow parents to uh you know put their kids to work especially if you have your own um, little business how fortunate for us yeah that our God. masters allowed us that one concession in every way the opponents were right child labor laws were and are a blow against the freedom to work and a boost in government authority over the family. The political class thinks nothing of legislating on behalf of the children, as if they're the first owners of all kids. Child labor laws were the first big step in this direction, and the rest follows. If the state can dictate to parents and kids the terms under which teens can be paid, there is essentially nothing they cannot control. And indeed, Mark, we see the federal government and state and local governments using their existing intrusions into our freedom as excuses for further, exist- for further intrusions. Yeah. They use this as rationale. They will say things like, well, we already have laws that control when kids can work. Now we need to have laws that control fill in the blank. Yeah. That's how it works. Uh, There's no sense in arguing about the details of the law. The critical question concerns the locus of decision-making. Is it the family or is it the state, private markets, or the public sector? Child labor laws. Want to hear from you on this? More on the way. 800-259-9231, especially if you're in management and you've had to deal with some of these childified uh, teenagers. This is Free Talk Live. Only moments remain, but just enough time for your call if you make it now. 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. Uh, and you can join us on our website, by the way, freetalklive.com. The feature's there. We give away. If you like the show, want to help support us, then join the AMP program. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier for as little as 3 bucks a month. You get perks like access to the AMP-only call-in line, the AMP-only chat room, forum, and more. All the details are there. But the most important thing is what the program's all about. Advertise, market, and promote. That money comes in, that 3 bucks a month, from you and over 400 other of our listeners. It comes in, and we turn it right back around, reinvest it into the show to get on more radio stations and thereby spread the message of freedom and liberty. Uh, so if that's valuable to you, pony up. Amp.freetalklive.com. We'll get you to it. That's amp.freetalklive.com. We're talking about one of the, I think, most unsung yet important issues in America today. And that is child labor. And the fact that because kids can't work, at any age earlier than 16, and really any age earlier than 18, in any real free sense of the term. Because, There's certainly a lot of restrictions. Yeah, because, because young people are prohibited by government law from working, there's a tremendous amount of unintended consequences that come from that. And one of those unintended consequences is the childlike behavior of a young person at ages when they should be acting like adults. And we see it. In uh, in many kids, when they have their first job, they should be getting their first job at 14, 13, 10, 12, whenever their parents say that it's time for them to get their first job. I'm not saying we should mandate that kids work. 
It should be up to the family. It should be up to the parents and the kid and the employer as to whether or not that kid gets a job. The government should have no say whatsoever. I have to totally agree. It's, it's so important. It is, because you learn very important lessons that you then apply on into the future. But if you're learning those lessons at age 18, or you're learning those lessons worse when you get out of college, believe it or not, there are some kids that are so damn coddled throughout their lives that they're told, Oh, no, honey, no, we're not going to let you get a job until you get out of college. You should. We're going to pay for everything. Don't worry. You shouldn't be working during college. Just have a good time. Drinking. Yeah, go get drunk. Meet some friends. Get a social disease while you're there. Yeah. And then they go and they get their first job at 22, 23. There's some real fallout that happens here. You know what they say, Mark? They say it's hard to find good help, and they are right. Absolutely. It is so hard to find good help, and I believe that the major factor there is that young people just don't understand work. They don't understand a work ethic. They're certainly not given the opportunity to learn. At the time, you know, supposedly in their life when they're they're best at learning, well, they're in there learning things that they're never going to use, like... Algebra. Parts of sentence and uh, parts of sentences and algebra, trigonometry, and those kind of things. Yeah. So this needs to change, and I don't know what it's going to take. It may just be secession. I don't know. It's certainly not a national issue. You're not going to hear any questions about child well, labor the on the presidential do, debate tonight. Not going to happen. The only thing you can do is um, encourage your child to get a job, teach them the right. value of a good work work ethic, and those kind of things. Because right. You the can only government school. Uh, it, it doesn't basically teaches them how to be a government employee yep. to burn time um you know to to busy themselves oh, yeah. and get as little as done as possible you're right and i thank you for bringing that up mark that's all you can do is you can only affect the people that are directly in contact with your life to get your kids to understand money that's an important thing to understand as a young person to mm. understand money and to understand the value of working and the work ethic and the other things that, that surround that but that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, be frustrated over the fact that most people aren't going to do that. Most people were raised in government schools. Their parents let them go to government schools. They figured government schools were going to teach them everything. And so now we have generations of government school graduates teaching, you know, sending their kids to government schools. And so the, the problem's compounding upon itself. The quality of the American workforce is going down very slowly over time, but going down. And that's... That does not bode well for our economy in general. Well, I, America, the empire, is is a sinking ship. Oh, I'm it's not, definitely I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying it's entirely going to go under. Um, you know, obviously there'll be people here in, on this continent uh, right. 100, 200 years from now. But, you know, the superpower that we are, well, we've socialized ourselves out of any area of being able to you know, to, to make a uh, an economy and a, a government that's going to rule the world for 200 years? No. Jeffrey Tucker, by the way, is uh, the author of the article we're discussing. He is the editor of Mises.org. He has a few more thoughts. He says, in so many ways, child labor laws are an anachronism. There's no sense of speaking of exploitation as if this were the early years of the Industrial Revolution. Kids as young as 10 can surely contribute their labors in some tasks in ways that would help them come to grips with the relationship between work and reward. They'll better learn to respect private forms of authority outside of the home. They'll come to understand that some things are expected of them in life. And after they finish college and enter the workforce, it won't come as such a shock the first time they're asked to do something that might not be their first choice. Yeah, but I don't want to. You want your paycheck? (laughs) Yeah. We know the glorious... You don't have to. You can leave. We know the glorious lessons that are imparted from productive work. 
What lesson do we impart with child labor laws? We establish early on who's in charge. Not individuals, not parents, but the state. We tell the youth they're better off being mall rats than fruitful workers. Mm. We tell them that they have nothing to offer society until they're 18 or so. We convey the impression that work is a form of exploitation from which they must be protected. We drive a huge social wedge between parents and children and lead kids to believe they have nothing to learn from their parents' experience. We rob them of what might otherwise be most valuable early experiences, the most valuable early experiences of their young adulthood. In the end, the most compelling case for getting rid of child labor laws comes down to one central issue, the freedom to make a choice. Those who think young teens should do nothing but languish in classrooms in the day and play their Nintendo Wii at night will be no worse off. You can still do that. You can still, in a free market, you can still coddle your kids and shut them off from reality and try to exclude them from watching TV or seeing nudity and stop them from working in the workplace and socializing with other kids. Sure, you can do that. You'll still be free to do that. But for those that see remunerative work as a great experience for everyone... We'll cheer to see this antique regulation toppled. Maybe then the kids of America can put their computer skills to use doing more than just playing World of Warcraft. 800-259-9231. I'm so grateful for my parents. Despite, you know, every parent, they've got their failings, right? Mm -hmm. Every parent's got their failings. But I'm so grateful for my parents for doing what you were talking about, Mark. For teaching me the value of saving money. They didn't teach me about, you know, all of the other things I needed to know about money. But just the fact that they taught me how to save money, that was really important in my life, my development. Yeah, I don't think that uh, work necessarily taught me to save money. No, no, I was, I was going to get to the working thing as well. Yeah, I, think that, I that, think that's important. I think that's as important as understanding a good work ethic is understanding how to handle the paychecks, right? You know, Putting a chunk of that away every single week, the, very it's, important. It's a huge issue, and it's one that I wish that I were better at. I'm certainly not... Uh, you know, the, the prime example of, uh, you know, how to save money. Pretty good at investing it, but I spend it, too. So, um, yeah, I wish I were better at that. But uh, as far as work ethic, I don't know that my parents necessarily... They just certainly didn't encourage me. I went out and found the job. But, yeah. you know, I... I my grandmother never missed a day at work. Now, this was sort of the old work ethic where mm-hmm. if you're sick, you go to work anyway. That's what I did. If you don't miss, if you miss work, you better be dying. Was kind of how it was. Now, I don't recommend that today. I do. Most offices. Well, I I, I have to disagree. Most offices are of the opinion that if if you're if you think you're coming down with a cold, you're most virulent in the early stages of a cold. If you think you're coming down with it, stay home. I like the way Julia approaches it. She'll go to work, and if they think she should go home, she'll let them send her home. At that point, I think that uh, th- there's some value to that, but uh, you may very well have transferred your, uh, your sickness to uh, the, you know, to whomever by the time you get there. Yeah, well, I understand that. Um, but I, I just want to say I am so thankful that my parents took the time to explain to me the importance of saving, and also allowed me to get work experience early in my life. I was helping my mother in her thrift store as early as I can remember, and it was only during the summertime and only here and there, you know. But it was something. And it yeah. made a big difference when it came time to actually really enter the uh, the workforce when family wasn't involved. I Let's go totally quickly agree. to the amp line, unscreened. Who's this? You're this is, uh, Matt from Illinois. Hey, Matt, uh, you've got about a minute. Oh, yeah. I, it'll only take me about a minute. I started working when I was 12. Okay. I was a caddy at the local golf course. Mm-hmm. Carried people's bags around. Good. Made a lot of money. Yep. That is something that kids can still do today, as far as I know. It's exempted? Uh, as far as I know, it's always been, because those rich people that play golf, 
They want to have caddies. Right. In fact, it's a good way to earn a scholarship. If you have a, a, a well-to-do um, private golf course around your place, then they probably need caddies. I was going to say, that's a great way to build some business connections, now, too. Yeah, why is that a scholar? Why, why will that get you a scholarship? There is a special scholarship, I forget the name, that it was put aside just for caddies. Huh. And, and likely you could find somebody who just thinks you're great out there on the golf course that has so much money they don't know what to do with it, and they could offer to send you to school, too. Yeah, exactly, right. or offer you an, a better job as well. Uh, thanks for the call, Matt. We appreciate it. It has been Ian here with you. And Mark. We will return tomorrow night. You can join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.